Well, I want to introduce you to my friend Jeff Copeland. This is Jeff. His wife, Selena, is sitting right down here. Jeff is a school, a junior high school teacher in Fresno, right? Teach history. Yeah, God bless you. Selena is, uh, just, uh, is a school counselor at Buchanan High School. Uh, they've been a part of our church for how long, Jeff? Uh, at least a year. At I least know. a year. He, Jeff know. is one of the guys, along with John Drotos that was preaching for us last week, uh, that God's calling into ministry, and we're kind of setting aside in our church planner incubator, we're calling it, uh, to get their feet wet in ministry and church ministry, because God is setting them apart, uh, not just to do ministry, but uh, Lord willing to plant some churches around here. So uh, super excited to have you preaching today. It's been good to have these young bucks uh, sharing a pulpit with me. Um, Jeff and, and John are going to be the face with the place at our new site that we're going to start at the end of this year, the beginning of next year. And so I'm really excited. Um, so we all know it, it, you know, it's, it's late in the day already. Yes, yes it is. Uh, so if you're good, we don't mind. If you're not good, we're going to be ready for you to be done. All right. <laughs> hey, will you tell him thank you for being here? He's going to do a great job. I'm excited. Man, I love how he spoke for all you guys. Okay, he said it, so it's cool. All right. So, uh, yeah, I'm Jeff Copeland. Um, there, are, there are a lot of Jeffs uh, at this church, man. Every time I hear my name, it's never me. Never, I look up and it's like, oh, some other Jeff. I should be the easiest one to remember. Because, you know, anyway, um, (laughs) so I have the uh, privilege and the pressure of going last in this series um, on Mark. Uh, Pastor Carl's done a fantastic job through most of it. Uh, Pastor Jeff did a great job. (laughs) Patient, my brother Patient did a great job. My brother John last week killed it. So they put all the pressure on me. Uh, to go last. Luckily, I get to steal from all of their sermons, so that's the privilege part. Um, I wish I had like a really like uplifting and like make you feel good kind of message. I don't. Uh, it it was really convicting for me to study this, so I figured you guys might be convicted with me. Um, it's going to be kind of hard to hear, I think, but I think it's important. It's it's necessary. So John last week talked about surrender to the kingdom leads to life. Surrender leads to life. The opposite of that is also true. If we don't surrender, if we don't surrender to the kingdom, we are a danger to ourselves and everyone we love. We are dangerous. If you're already in a relationship with Jesus, okay, but you're unsurrendered, there's almost nothing more dangerous than an unsurrendered Christian. That's really scary. If you don't know Jesus and you want to, You have the opportunity to invite him into your life, but there is a prerequisite. You must surrender. Let's talk about what that means as we go forth. So um, how how can you be dangerous if you don't surrender? Like, what does this look like? How am I dangerous? What are you talking about? There are many ways this can manifest itself. Um, We're going to look at a few of them in our chapter today. We're going to be in Mark 11. You guys can get there right now. Uh, Mark chapter 11. Um, So... One of the ways that this manifests itself, if we don't surrender to the kingdom, we will try to do things that are impossible. Okay? So one of the most valuable traits in our society today, if you ask any millennial or Gen Z person, like, what they care about the most, the kingdom of this world is telling them, 
You need to be your true, authentic self. Be your true, authentic self. That is so valued right now in our culture. Um, the problem is the culture is also telling us to be a good person. Just be a good person. Like that's we, we, but you got to be a good person and be your true, authentic self. That's impossible. Okay, here's why. As Pastor Jeff pointed out uh, in his chapter 7, Jesus says this, For from within, out of people's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immoralities, thefts, murders, adulteries, greed, evil actions, deceit, self-indulgence, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. Is that all Jesus' thing? All these evil things come from within and defile a person. This is our true authentic self. How can I be that and a good person? That, that's impossible. Okay? I, if this is my true authentic self, I need a new true authentic self. If the world's telling me to follow my heart and this is in my heart, I need a new heart. Right? If the world's saying, just, just follow your desires, do what makes you feel good. If this is what makes me feel good, I need new desires. All of this can only come through surrender. If I'm the problem, I can't be the solution. If I'm not surrendered, I'm the last person I can trust. Okay? It gets worse. I got I to tell you guys. It's going to get worse. Um, so this is kind of cheesy, but just, just go with me, all right? Every single person has a throne room in their life. We have a throne of our hearts. We have every single person has a throne room in their lives. And we love the idea of Jesus as our Savior. We always say, he's my Lord and Savior. But is he really our Lord? Are we even comfortable with that? Even the word surrender is triggering. Right? Surrender. That's what you do at the end of a war if you lose. I'm not trying to surrender. What are you talking about? So I'm cool with him being my savior. I want Jesus in the room with me. You can be in the throne room with me, Jesus. I'm going to be sitting on the throne, but you can help me run my kingdom. You can give me advice. Like, wait, man, what should I do, Jesus? I, I want to do this. What should I do? How should I go about it? I want him to be my savior and be in the room, but not my Lord. I've got to get off of the throne and let him sit on the throne. Okay, here's the problem. There's, there's only two kingdoms, as Pastor Carl said a few weeks back. There's only two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of God, and there's the kingdom of the, the other guy, the devil. He wants me to think, yeah, 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 you're sitting on the throne. You're running the thing. You're, you're in charge. Go ahead, Jeff, look at you. But really, I'm helping him run his kingdom. Okay, if I'm on the throne, the kingdom of this world is very small. It's a small kingdom. I've got to get off the throne. I've got to surrender control. What does that look like? One of the ways that I struggle to surrender is with (laughs) praise. I love to get credit for what I do. After this, if you guys say, Jeff, great job, I'm going to be like, oh, I did that. Ignoring the fact that my good deeds are filthy rags compared to what Jesus has done. He's the only person worthy of praise. Whatever good I do is nothing compared to him. I don't deserve any praise, but I, like, really want it. Like, when something good happens, I'm definitely on the throne. I'm like, yeah, Jesus, no, no, this is, this is for me, bro. Like, you just, just wait. This is for me. 
Okay, I've got to get off the throne when it comes to taking credit for things, right? Um, the thing about the kingdom of God, too, is that it has to be invited. Jesus is not going to kick the door down and rip you off the throne. He's not going to do that. The Bible says he stands at the door and he knocks. He's not a rude guy. He's just like, if you invite me in, I'll come in there. If you let me sit on the throne, if you surrender and get off the throne, you have to choose to, I'll sit there. If not, then I won't. The devil's kingdom does not need an invitation. He'll just show up. Especially if the kingdom of God is not there. He'll definitely show up. It's a choice. Okay? So again, one of the things that we will do if we're not surrendering to the kingdom is we will chase small kingdoms. We'll, we'll even shrink the kingdom of God. Let me show you. Okay? Oh, before I get to that, my bad. Patient when he was preaching, he said that no preacher can fully define the kingdom of God. And that's true. I'm going to try really quick. This is just my little two cents. So the kingdom is a verb, not just a noun. It doesn't make sense grammatically, but just, just bear with me, okay? It's not just a thing. It's something that God does. He kingdoms, right? He rules. He reigns. He has authority. He exercises authority. It's something that he does. It's not just a thing that he has, that he's bringing, okay? We really just want it to be a noun, though, if we're honest. Because if it's just a noun, I can limit who gets in and who doesn't. I can limit where it is, maybe by geographic area. I can limit it by time. I can even limit if I'm in it or not. Like, you know what, God? I really want to go out here and while I let me step outside your kingdom real quick, I'll be back. But if it's a verb, I can't escape it. It's, it's big. It's, it's too big. It's everywhere. It's all the time. It's not limited to any person or, or place. Okay? But again, we, our tendency, if we're not surrendered, is to limit and shrink the kingdom just to a noun. Let me show you. Okay? So, very famous story. This is the triumphal entry. This is when Jesus is at the, pretty much the end of his ministry. He's coming into Jerusalem for the last time. This is literally Palm Sunday. Right. And everybody's like really excited. He's coming. OK. And they say this. OK. Many people spread their clothes on the road and others spread leafy branches and cut, cut from the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Verse 10 is key. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. He went into Jerusalem, into the temple. After looking around and everything, since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So we're following Jesus on his journey into Jerusalem. So verse 10 is interesting. People are saying, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David, Hosanna in the highest heaven. That's a really small kingdom. Now on the surface, it's like, how? You're talking about reestablishing the throne of David. And the kingdom of Israel and overthrowing the Roman Empire, that's huge. But it's too small for God. It's too small for Jesus. He had bigger things. He wanted to save our hearts, right? But the people, and we are very uh, prone to doing this, we will shrink the kingdom that we want, okay? We cannot chase after small kingdoms. We've got to be careful with this. We've got to get off the throne, Okay, we've got to get off the throne. Question, how, how do we shrink the kingdom? In what ways do we shrink the kingdom? In what ways do you shrink the kingdom? Think about it. I'm not going to 
you know, ask for answers, but you got to think about it. How do I shrink the kingdom? In what ways? Right? Is it by my career, my status, my health, right? My family? What am I shrinking God's kingdom to with my priorities instead of his? Right? Think about it. If, if I do shrink the kingdom, then I create boxes in my life. I have my God box on Sundays. I got my work box, my rest box, my diet and exercise box, which I really don't have. I should. Um, and my money box. And God actually becomes a line item in my budget, a time slot in my daily routine, a building that I go to for a few hours a week, maybe twice a week. Okay? I'm, I'm literally splitting time with Jesus on my throne. All right, Jesus, it's Sunday morning. This is your time. You sit on the throne, man. I'm, I'm here. I'm praising you. It's, we're, you're in charge. You're running the show. All right, it's 1130. Get up, bro. This is, it's time. All right, now I'm, I'm back in charge. If, if he's not on the throne all the time, he's not really the Lord. If he's not Lord every day that ends in Y, he's not really my Lord. I cannot split time. If I do, I'm shrinking the kingdom. He, he has to be saturating every area of my life. I've got to be willing to give up control. That's what surrender means, to give up control to him in every area, not just the ones that I'm comfortable with. Okay? We've got to be very careful not to shrink the kingdom. Don't limit God to a specific time in your week and your day. Oh, I did my devotion this morning, God. Okay, cool. Jesus, get up. This is my time now. I'm going to work. Okay? If I'm sitting at home with my wife watching Netflix, he still has to be on the throne then too. Okay? If I'm at the gym, which again, I don't go to, but if I am, okay, he has to be on the throne then too. If I'm resting, if I'm working, if I'm handling my money, if I'm making my budget for the month, is he on the throne then? He has to be, okay? We got to surrender every single area of our lives. Another thing, this is my favorite part of the message, so here we go. Another issue that will happen if we don't surrender to the kingdom we won't bear fruit, okay? So uh, Jesus left the temple uh, in Jerusalem, and they're going out to Bethany, and they come across, him and the 12, they come across this tree. Very amazing metaphor that Jesus is using, teaching uh, tool that he's using for us. Here we go. The next day, when they went out from Bethany, he was hungry. Jesus got hungry. He went to find out if there was, oh, seeing in the distance a fig tree with leaves, he went to find out if there was anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. He said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. Now, Jesus knew there was no figs on this tree ahead of time. He knew that. He was trying to teach his disciples and us something, okay? The question we have to ask ourselves is, do we bear fruit or just leaves? Are we all leaves and no fruit? What does that mean? How many people look like they're living healthy Christian lives? You see them from far away and you're like, man, they're always at church. I know they read their Bible, their prayer life must be amazing. I know they may be tithe, hopefully, right? 
They look from the outside that they're, they're living healthy Christian lives. But when you get close, we realize that we're all leaves and no fruit. We're all on the outside. We're all surface level. But we don't have any actual fruit. What is fruit, though? What does it mean to bear fruit? We're actually commanded by God to bear fruit. So what does that mean? If it's a commandment, it must be a big deal. I got to know what it means. What does it mean? So what is fruit? Practically, uh, fruit provides nourishment and, and nutrients, and it helps with hunger, as Jesus was trying to do, right? It also, from a spiritual sense, fruit gives hope and joy and healing and fuel for this journey called life. See, trees don't eat their own fruit, right? Fruit is always for others. It's not for me. I'm supposed to be a source of joy and hope and healing for others. See, a lot of us are only worried about this relationship. Like, God, what I got to do so you're not mad at me, so you let me into heaven. Once I get that figured out, all right, cool, I'm good. Let's go about my life. God cares just as much about this relationship. The kingdom is always about others. It's got to be other-centered, right? How do I bear fruit? Jesus tells us in John 15, he says this. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes, and he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. Remain in me, and I in you, just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains in the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. I cannot be a source of life for others if I'm not surrendered to the kingdom. I will be all leaves and no fruit. Fruit is for others. People should be able to come to us and get what they need, get that nourishment, that joy, that hope, that healing that they're looking for. We can only provide that if we are surrendered. Okay? This is not about individual salvation. This is about others. The kingdom is always looking for everybody. Right? Now, uh, I'm going to nerd out real quick. When I was studying for this message, when you read in Mark, uh, he's, his gospel is different from Matthew's on this. They tell similar stories, but it's different. Matthew tells you the fig tree story and then the cleansing of the temple story separately. Mark actually breaks up the fig tree story with 12 and 14, and then he inserts the temple cleansing story, and then he finishes the fig tree story with 20 and 25. I was originally going to like take those two parts, teach them to you right now, and then teach you the, the temple cleansing story separate. And then I was reading, and the Holy Spirit was like, dummy. I realized why Mark wrote, wrote it that way. Jesus gives us a like, symbolic example with the tree and, and fruit. And when it's not bearing fruit, what happens to it? And then he gives us a real-life practical example by going into the temple. It's really cool. And then he finishes it off by explaining what, what all of it meant. We're going to do that today. Okay? So another thing that we will end up doing if we don't spread into the kingdom is that we will hurt the little people in our society, the littles. John talked last week about the little ones. We're going to look at what that means. 
Okay, so continuing in, in Mark 11. Okay, so they pass the fig tree. They, they're going back to Jerusalem into the temple. And Jesus says, he does this. They came to Jerusalem and he went into the temple and began to throw out those buying and selling. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. And he would not permit anyone to carry goods through the temple. He was teaching them. Is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves. The reaction of the, of the Pharisees is very interesting. It's a little extreme if you ask me. The chief priests and the scribes heard it and started looking for a way to kill him. Good Lord, bro, why? What did he do? That was so bad. Okay, we're going to look at it, but... Before you look at the Pharisees and go, man, these guys suck. They're the bad guys. Every time I read the Gospels, they're like the bad guys in the story. Be careful not to miss that. That's us. We have Pharisee in us all the time. Our default setting is actually to be a Pharisee. So be very careful. Okay, if we're not surrendered, we can easily slip into this. Now, what was so bad? I underlined those selling doves. This is what the Pharisees were doing to people. So in the Jewish life, your whole life centered around sacrificing and atoning for your sins. You had to get an unblemished lamb, take it to the temple, sacrifice it. Your sins are good. They're very expensive, though. A lamb in those days was extremely expensive. So if you're poor, what do you do? How are you going to atone for your sins? Well, the, the law had an exception for poor people. You could get a couple doves. Those are much cheaper. They're supposed to be. Take them, sacrifice them. Your sins are good. They literally made a business off of poor people. Like selling, you're selling doves, the thing that they need to sacrifice for their sins because they're poor, and you're going to make money off of that? That's awful. That's why Jesus is so upset. And he quotes two Old Testament prophets. And this is why they want to kill him. So when he says, uh, my house will be called the house of prayer for all nations. That's from Isaiah 56, 7. I'm more interested in the last thing that he says, but you have made it a den of thieves. That's from Jeremiah uh, 7, which is really crazy. We're going to look at it right now. It's funny how the last thing he said is what got him in trouble. That happens to me all the time with my wife. The last, if I could just keep my mouth to that last comment I say usually <laughs> gets me in trouble. Just like, I'm being like Jesus, babe. I'm just being like Jesus, okay? <laughs> So, so what is he saying with this phrase, but you have made it a den of thieves? Let's look at Jeremiah 7. Okay. This is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel says, correct your ways and your actions, and I will allow you to live in this place. Do not trust deceitful words, like be a good person. Okay. Uh, chanting, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Instead, if you really correct your ways and your actions, if you act justly toward one another, he cares about others, okay? If you no longer oppress the resident alien, the fatherless, and the widow, and no longer shed innocent blood in this place or follow other gods, Bringing harm on yourselves, I will allow you to live in this place, the land I gave to your ancestors long ago and forever. But look, you keep trusting in deceitful words that cannot help. Do you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, burn incense to Baal, and follow other gods that you have not known? 
Then do you come and stand before me in the house that bears my name and say, we are rescued so we can continue doing all these detestable acts. Has this house which bears my name become a den of robbers in your view? Yes, I too have seen it. This is the Lord's declaration. So Jesus said all of that with that with that one phrase. That's why they wanted to kill him. He called them out on their tiny little kingdom. They had made a kingdom thinking that they're serving God that oppressed the little people in society, the fatherless, the widow, the orphan, the poor. Okay, these are the, the most vulnerable people in our society. People like who are in Cuba and Guatemala. Okay? Like they had created an entire system hurting these people. And before you're like, well, I'm not doing that. Well, we might be. I'll explain more on that later. Okay? I'm almost done, guys, I promise. Okay? The little people in the kingdom matter. The littles in our, in our world matter. The vulnerable people, people at the bottom, people with no status. God cares about them. We have to, too. That's only going to happen if we are surrendered. To the kingdom. Okay? So this is the ending of the fig tree story. So they leave the temple after Jesus kicks everybody out and they want to kill him. They leave and they go back by where that same tree was they saw. Early in the morning, as they were passing by, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots up. Then Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. A couple things. So, I learned this week from Pastor Carl that the fig tree was the national symbol of strength for the kingdom of Israel. A tree. Like we have like a bald eagle, you know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's really intimidating. I'm not scared of a tree. I'm, I mean, it's, it's weird, but you guys do what you want to do. Um, it represented strength, right? It was healthy, a lot of leaves, green, all that stuff. They thought their kingdom was strong, but it withered. Any small kingdom we go after that's not the kingdom of God, eventually it's going to wither. It's going to become nothing. They were chasing after a small kingdom, and Jesus is trying to show that to them. Whatever you guys think is strong and is valuable, it's nothing compared to the kingdom of God. Okay? And then Jesus' answer is really funny. He almost completely ignores what Peter said. He says, he's replied to them, have faith in God. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, everything you pray for and ask for, pray and ask for, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him so that your father in heaven will also forgive you your wrongdoings. Couple things. Verse 23 is very abused by prosperity gospel preachers today. You just name it and claim it. Whatever you want, you have enough faith, you'll get it from God. Right? If you want that new Ferrari, you better just have enough faith. Make sure you give enough money to us, and uh, you'll get your Ferrari. And if you don't, you don't have enough faith. That's your fault. Right? That's not what Jesus is saying. Okay? This verse goes with another very famous verse that we abuse a lot. He'll give you the desires of your heart. But remember, I need a new heart, right? I also need new desires. What that verse is saying is that Jesus will literally give you 
desires for your heart. He will put new desires in your heart. You will want new things. Like if you guys told me five years ago that I would be up here today preaching to you, I would be like, hell no. He said I could say that, by the way. So if you're mad, it's on him. I would be like, hey, me preaching? Heck no, you're crazy. You're nuts. But man, I, I ran from it for so long. And then I submitted my life. I surrendered. And I love reading my Bible. I used to never want to read my Bible. It's so boring. But he's put new desires in me to where I love reading this thing. I love talking about it. I love sharing it with people. I can't help. If you spend enough time with me, the Bible is going to come up in conversation. I'm, I'm sorry. I can't help it because he's put this desire in me. You will get new desires. So whatever I ask for in prayer, if I'm surrendered to him, the things that I want and pray for, he wants for me because he gave them to me. He put the desire in me anyway. Of course, he's going to give me what I ask for because it's what he wants. It's not my will, but his will be done. If I'm praying like that, of course, I'm going to get what I ask for in prayer. But you got to be surrendered first. Okay. And then he says something very, very key at the end. Right. If you have anything against anyone, forgive him so that your father in heaven will also forgive you your wrongdoing. What is a mountain? If I'm on a journey and I see a mountain, what is this mountain for me? It's an obstacle. It's in my way, something that's preventing me from continuing. I need these obstacles to be removed. One of the greatest obstacles in our way of bearing fruit is unforgiveness. I'm not going to get into all your business, but it's hard to forgive. We are our biggest obstacle to bearing fruit. If I have any unforgiveness, if I have anything against anybody, I shouldn't expect very much. I've got to be willing to surrender that, that, that hurt. Somebody wronged me. I've got to let that go and surrender to the kingdom. Okay, we've got to ask for forgiveness. We've got to forgive people. That's one of the greatest barriers to bearing fruit. Another <laughs> barrier, man, that song we were just singing, what if he doesn't move the mountain? It's really easy to get off the throne when there's money in my bank account, there's food in my pantry, okay, like everything's going good, gas in the car, you know, like everything's great. It's really easy, okay, Jesus, yeah, you sit on the throne, man, everything's going great, you're doing a good job. What if the mountain doesn't move? What if things aren't going well? What if I don't have financial peace? What if I go in my junk drawer and I can't find any change? Can I trust him enough to get off the throne then? It's difficult. Surrender is not easy, okay? But we have to do it. We've got to be willing to surrender. All these things we talked about today. One of the hardest things to surrender is in, my, in the area of finance, in money. We showed the Financial Peace University video. Man, like, it's so difficult. You might be thinking with that earlier story in, in uh, Jeremiah. I haven't robbed the poor. I haven't made this house a den of thieves. But if I cannot surrender my money to God and realize that everything I have is actually his, if I don't trust him enough to tithe, we give through this church, not to it, right? So if I'm not giving, I'm not allowing the church to be a blessing to Guatemala and Cuba. I'm not allowing the church to be a blessing to teachers. 
right? It's amazing how the, the Holy Spirit orchestrated that a teacher is up here preaching and we had Teacher Appreciation Day. Only God could do that. Okay, but if I'm not surrendering in the area of finance, I am being a den of robbers. We've got to be willing to give up control. Surrender is giving up control. We've got to do it. We've got to realize that it's actually better if I do surrender. Okay? We've got to... We, it, I want to bear fruit. I don't want to chase after impossible things. I don't want to have the pressure of trying to be a good person when I can't. Let that go. Surrender. Get off the throne. There's a lot of freedom in surrender. It seems counterintuitive, but you will be free if you surrender. You will be free if you surrender. Get off the throne today. Bear fruit. Think about others. Be other focused. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, I thank you today. Thank you for your message. I pray that anything that was from me be forgotten quickly and everything that came from you be written on our hearts, God. God, we want to be where you are. We want to be where you are. We don't want to be just have you in the room of our lives in the throne. We want you on the throne. We want you to be sitting on the throne all the time. We don't want to split time with you, God. We want you to rule every single day that ends in Y. God, I want a new heart. Help me to surrender. I want new desires, God. Help me to surrender to you. I want to bear fruit, God. Help me to surrender to you. Father, we love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.